0: is to be full of action and emotion to be deeply moving and going by that definition what we're going to look at tonight fits quite well mark's account of the death of christ and the things that led up to it are dramatic it was a drama There was a lot of emotion. There was a lot of action. And it all takes place in less than 24 hours. And everyone involved, from Jesus to the disciples to everyone else involved that night, experienced drama. And so we're going to remind ourselves of that. In scene one, Of this drama in chapter 14, we begin in verse 17. 14, 17. It takes place in the upper room. Jesus has been having the Passover meal with his disciples. That's really going on in many, many homes in Jerusalem at the same time. Families experiencing the Passover meal together. But Jesus is in this upper room with his disciples. And in verse 17 of chapter 14, it says, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And the drama begins. Unlike other homes at this time, Throughout Jerusalem, in the upper room, we're going to have talk about betrayal and desertion and denial and death. And Jesus begins here in Mark's account by bringing up the subject of betrayal. And he says, one of you men is going to betray me. And they all are asking, who is it? Who is it? And Jesus doesn't name the person, but in verse 20, he says, it is one of the twelve who's eating with me. And then at the end of verse 21, he says, woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And we know who that man was back in verses 10 and 11. We find out it's Judas Iscariot. He's already made the plan to betray Jesus. So can you imagine the emotion of Judas at this point there around the table? Jesus says one of them is going to betray him. And woe is the man who will do that. It would be better that he never were born. And Judas is sitting there, lying there, whatever position he's in, hearing that, knowing he's the one. Then Jesus goes on and he says in verse 27, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He says to these guys, you're going to fall away. You're going to desert me. And they all say, we would never do that, Jesus. And then he talks about denial. He addresses Peter. Peter in verse 29 says, even if all fall away, I will not. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself, Peter, will disown me three times. What an emotional time for Peter as he hears Jesus tell him he's going to deny him three times. And then Jesus is also talking about death, betrayal, desertion, denial, and death. And that's when, according to verse 22, he takes the bread And he says, this is my body. And then he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood. Now, whether the disciples understood he was talking about his death, we don't know. Probably not. But Jesus knew that had to be very emotional for him to talk about his own death as he shows the bread, my body the cup, my blood. That must have been a very emotional time in the upper room. And after that time is over, they move to the second scene and it's in a garden. It's in the garden of Gethsemane. And Mark starts in verse 32 to describe this scene. And it says, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took three of them. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Now, some people would say, well, Jesus would never get overwhelmed with emotion. Jesus would never be distressed. Oh, yeah. Mark isn't giving his opinion here. He's quoting Jesus. Jesus is the one that is saying he's overwhelmed. And he says to these three disciples, I want you to stay here and watch and pray. And Jesus goes on, as we know, off by himself and he prays. And it's a very dramatic prayer. Very dramatic prayer it's a prayer of surrender. We're familiar with it. We know that Jesus asked the Father if, if this cup, what he's about to experience, could be taken away from him. Yes, Jesus asked for that. This was dramatic, emotional for him. But then he surrenders to the will of the Father. But not my will, yours. And we're told that he comes back three times. And then goes and prays three times. And each time he comes back, what does he find? Peter, James, and John sleeping. And he says in verse 37, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The one time, I can't find any other places in the Gospels. The one time that Jesus basically says, I need you guys. I can't think of another time when he expresses that he needs these men. But here he does. And I can't imagine the disappointment as he comes back three times and finds them sleeping. Well, then the action starts, as we know. Judas Iscariot now comes into the garden with a a bunch of soldiers that are well armed and they're going to arrest Jesus. Judas picks Jesus out from that little group by kissing him. That's the betrayal with a kiss. Dramatic in itself. And then Jesus is arrested. And chaos breaks out. It says in verse 47, Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Isn't it interesting that even though we know from other Gospels that this was Peter, Mark doesn't name Peter. Another indication that Mark is getting his information from Peter. It's like Peter doesn't want him to name him because this was embarrassing. In the chaos, Peter takes out his sword and starts swinging and cuts this young man's ear off. And Jesus says, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then everyone deserted him and fled. Just like he said, the disciples ran. Jesus is arrested. The disciples run. And verse 51 says something interesting. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Could that have been Mark himself? Many believe it was. But the upper room and and the garden, a lot of drama, a lot of emotion. A lot of emotion for Jesus. A lot of emotion for Judas. A lot of emotion for Peter. A lot of emotion for the other disciples. And the evening has just begun. you. Come into the third scene. Chapter 14, verse 53 says, They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. All the disciples had scattered, except Peter. were told there that Peter followed at a distance into the courtyard of the high priest, where he sat with the guards and warmed himself at a fire. But Jesus now will be on trial. It's going to be a quick trial. It's going to be a secret trial. It's going to be an unjust trial. These religious leaders want to get it over as soon as possible. They want to get rid of Jesus. And so the trial is held totally in violation of how trials were to be held. We read on in verse 55. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they could not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements didn't agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days build another not made by man. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. The religious leaders couldn't find anything against Jesus, so they bring all these false witnesses to give testimony that isn't even true. And at the end of verse 61, the high priest asked Jesus, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. And then notice this. Some of them began. These are religious leaders. They began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. And then they struck him while blindfolded with their fists, and they mocked him. They said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. The religious leaders moved Jesus on to the Roman governor, Pilate chapter 15, verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led Him away, and handed Him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. And Pilate begins to continue questioning Jesus. And his conclusion is, this man has done nothing wrong. And he tries his best. He's having his own drama. He's trying his best to release Jesus, to figure out a way to not condemn this man that he believes is innocent. But nothing works. The Jewish leaders continue to say, crucify him, crucify him. He must die. And Pilate gives in. And at the end of verse 15, it says he had Jesus flogged and handed Him over to be crucified. Verse 16, The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and He called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on Him. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on Him. And they began to call out to Him, Hail, King of the Jews! mocking Him. Again and again they struck Him on the head with a staff. And spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him as they mocked him. And then they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him and they let him out to be crucified. So the trial is totally in violation of any law, any rule of law. And through the trial, Jesus is beaten. He is mocked. He is spit on. And by this time, after facing that from the religious leaders and then from the Roman soldiers, Jesus must be bleeding. He must be covered with welts. Uh, There must be swelling from being punched in the face. He is suffering. He is experiencing pain. Meanwhile, down in the courtyard, around a campfire, We have Peter. Back to chapter 14, verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. Now remember, this is a servant girl. This isn't a Roman soldier. This isn't even a grown man. This is a servant girl. And she says, you also were with that Nazarene, Jesus. But Peter denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. And when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow was one of them. And again, for the second time, Peter denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you're one of them. You're a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And Peter broke down and wept he had done what jesus said he would do he had done what he insisted he would never do this was a very emotional time for peter this was a terrible time for jesus that trial, the campfire, but the worst scene is yet to come.
1: Business side.
0: Mark goes on to the fifth and final dramatic scene. Chapter 15, verse 24. And they crucified Him. Which is really interesting because that's all Mark says. And they crucified Him. He doesn't go into detail as to how they went about doing that. Why? Well, if Mark's primary audience in presenting Jesus in his gospel are the Romans, and they crucified him is all they need to hear. The Romans were very familiar with crucifixion. They knew the details. And when Mark says, and they crucified him, that Roman person hearing this account would see detailed pictures of what that meant and what that involved. They would see the soldiers. They would see Jesus laid on that cross on the ground. They would see the hammers taken, the nails pounded into Jesus' hands and feet. They would see that. They would see ropes tied around His wrists. They could picture it. So all Mark had to say, Was, and they crucified him. But here's what Mark does tell us. In verse 25, he says it was the third hour when they crucified him, nine o'clock in the morning. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right, one on his left. Notice this, those who passed by, the passers-by, hurled insults at Jesus, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross, save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders were standing there, mocked him. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe, likely. And then it says, those crucified with him, those two robbers on either side, also heaped insults on him. So the passers-by hurl insults. The religious leaders mock him. The two robbers on either side insult him. Verse 33, at the sixth hour, noon. So Jesus was experiencing that as he hung there for three hours. The mocking, the insults. And it says, at noon, the whole land became dark. For three hours until three o'clock. And at the ninth hour, three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, during those three hours of darkness, God separated himself from Jesus. And that was the period when he was paying the penalty of sin, separated from God, being judged, For the sins that were not his during those three hours of darkness. And then, verse 37 with a loud cry. After six hours on the cross, Jesus breathed his last, he died. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And this next verse is so important in the book of Mark. And when the centurion, the Roman centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Is it not appropriate and significant that in Mark's account of the crucifixion, the last words spoken are by a Roman soldier Do you realize the significance of that? If Mark's primary audience are the Romans, in his account, the last words spoken at the cross are by a Roman soldier. And what is he declaring? Certainly, this was the Son of God. Mark could have had one of the women at the cross say that. Wouldn't have meant as much to the Roman reader. Mark could have had John, one of the disciples whom we know was there with Mary, make that statement. It would not have been significant to a Roman reader. But Mark is presenting Jesus to the Romans. And significantly and powerfully, he makes sure that the declaration by a Roman soldier is the last word. Certainly, he was the Son of God. That would make the Roman reader think. And so, we have this drama. In less than 24 hours. Jesus going through so much emotion. His disciples going through so much emotion. Peter, Judas, specifically those two, going through so much of their own drama. And really, the religious leaders, very dramatic, a lot of emotion. Pilate, a lot of emotion even the ones who are insulting and beating him and mocking him, a lot of emotion. This was filled with drama. Ending with his death and that powerful statement by the Roman soldier. Certainly, this was the Son of God. A drama that throughout all history ever since has had dramatic impact on many, many people. Why? Another interesting thing. Mark does not tell us. Mark's account is just a narrative. He's just telling us what happened. He never stops to tell us why this is happening. He never stops to tell us why Jesus is doing this. He never stops to tell us what the significance of this is. It's just a narrative. He tells us what happened. But the Apostle Paul tells us why this happened. The Apostle Paul tells us why this drama has dramatically impacted people all throughout history. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's what he was doing. He was dying for the ungodly in the place of the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us. That's what was happening. That's why it happened. God's love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us in our place. And since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? That's what was happening. That's why it happened. Jesus was dying for sinners. He was dying in their place so that they might be saved from God's wrath. And the way Peter put it, because Peter gave us the significance, he said that Jesus bore in his body on the cross our sins. He carried our sins, the sinless Jesus. And during those hours of darkness, God turned his back, separated himself from Jesus, and Jesus was judged. He paid our penalty to make possible forgiveness and salvation for us. And many of us here tonight have experienced that salvation. We remember when we acknowledged our sinfulness. We remember when we sought God's forgiveness because of what Jesus had done, paying for our sins. We remember declaring our belief in Jesus and asking Him to forgive us and come into our lives and be our leader, our Lord, our Savior. And it's because of that we come tonight to remember the drama of that 24 hours or less that Jesus went through for us. We know what it means. We've experienced what it made possible. And so in the next few minutes, we are going to come to the tables. And we're going to remember and we're going to give thanks We're going to eat bread, We're going to serve ourselves, eat the bread, and as we do, we're going to remember the body of Jesus, all that his body went through, all the way to death for us. We're going to drink from the cup and remember the blood of Jesus that was shed as he paid for our sins so we could be forgiven. I'm going to thank the Lord for the bread and what it represents, the cup and what it represents, and then invite you to come. Just come whenever you want. Uh, you don't have to come if you don't want. That's your choice tonight. But if you want to come and remember and give thanks, you come uh, to any of the tables, and uh, we'll take as long as it takes uh, for us to do that. So let's pray. Our Father, thank You for reminding us tonight of what it was like during that 24 hours or less. What it was like for Jesus. What it was like for His disciples. What it was like for anyone who was involved. So emotional. So much passion. So much suffering. So much distress. So much anger. So dramatic. And to realize it was for us. Jesus, those of us who are here tonight, who have experienced your salvation, we thank you and we're going to come to your table and give you thanks we thank you for the bread that we will eat and be reminded of your body that you sacrificed that you gave up that was beaten that was nailed to the cross that experienced death and father we'll drink from the cup and we'll be reminded of and we're going to give you thanks for your your blood that was shed thank you jesus for being willing to shed Your blood to pay for our sins and the forgiveness that we can have. So, Father, may this be a special time not only for us, but for You as we thank You, as Your children come and thank You. This is for You, Father. This is for You, Jesus. Amen.